You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Have a seat. All right, guys. Well, if you have a copy of Scripture, and I hope you do, uh, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 20 here this morning. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to take that Black Pew, Black Pew Bible again, turn it to page 955, and you'll be able to follow along with us as we walk through um, this really important portion of Scripture this morning. Um, if you are, if this is your first time here, you picked a good Sunday. <laughs> No, we, we don't talk about sex every week. You're like, who are these weirdos or whatever? What, what we do as a church, we just walk through books of the Bible. Um, we find that that's, that's the way that God's word was written. And so when these topics come up, we're just going we're, we're to cover them as they come up in books. We're not perverts. This isn't what we do. But t- today we're talking about, talking about sex. I've entitled our message today, The Lies We Believe About Sex. Church, you probably agree with me that sex has saturated every aspect of our culture. Sex is used to move merchandise, sell things. It's on display in almost every form of entertainment that comes across our screens. And what what you and I need to understand is that the world in doing so is is building a theology of sex. They're, They're telling us how we should view, practice, and what we should believe about our sexuality. This is what the world is trying to do. We hear messages like, love is love. Do whatever feels right. And my body, my choice. So in a culture saturated with sex, Jesus doesn't call us to run away from the conversation. Jesus doesn't say, just just run and hide and be isolated, and the world's going to do their thing, and we don't really have anything to say about it. Because we need to remember that sex is something that God created. This is a gift that he gave to us. Sex isn't a dirty word. It's not a, it's not a dirty issue. This is something that God gave to his people to experience the goodness that we just sang about. Think about it. The first commandment that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden before sin was what? Be fruitful and multiply. Go have sex. Before sin. This isn't a shameful thing. We, the, the world has distorted how we should view sex. But Jesus doesn't say to run from the conversation. He actually says to be set apart from it and engage it in a way that we are grounded in what God's word has to say. And so this morning, what I want to do is that I want to, I want to address some of the prominent lies this world is trying to convince us of regarding sex. This is exactly what Paul does. And so he just wants to answer the question, what lies is this world telling us? And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20, the Apostle Paul exposes three lies the world wants you to believe about sex. They are this. Sex without boundaries leads to freedom. 
that the more that you push the boundaries of sex and you can do whatever you want, that leads to true freedom. That's lie number one. Lie number two is that it doesn't matter how you use your body. It doesn't. Do, do with it how, whatever you want. And lastly, the third lie we're going to talk about today is sex is just sex. So with each of these lies, Paul lovingly points back to the truth that will help us stand against them. This is the goal of our time here today. It's not going to be the end-all, be-all sex talk. I don't have any diagrams or pictures. We're just going to expose the lies that the culture will tell, tells us each and every day. Before we do, would you just bow your heads and pray and help me as we walk into this portion. So God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the sufficiency of your word. God, I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to run from, this, from the conversation about the topic of sex. Lord, you actually, your word talks about it often and openly. It points to it as, as a gift given to us, God, by, by our Heavenly Father to be cherished and enjoyed within the parameters, God, the bounds that you have set up between a husband and wife in marriage. And God, the world tells us so many different distortions about sex. And we're just going to walk through three of them today. So Father, I pray, Lord, that, that today wouldn't be about me, wouldn't be about my thoughts, God, but would be about your word. God, that it would be about the hope, God, that we have in the gospel and the hope, God, that you know what's best for us. And that when we follow after those things, God, you promise that you will give us the, the desires of our hearts. So, God, may, may we be sensitive, God, to your leading in our hearts today. And may your son Jesus be first and forefront, God, throughout our conversation. And we pray all these things in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's all right. So the first lie that this world tries to convince us when it comes to sex is that sex without boundaries leads to freedom. See, when we had, we had three, our first three children, we had very close together. Um, Jackson was a little over a year and a half when we had our twin girls, Madison and McKenna. Just to, for you guys to do the math, it gives us three kids under the age of two. I don't know how we survived those early years. A lot, of, a lot of God's grace and two things, pack and plays and baby gates. They saved us. We literally couldn't do anything without them. You couldn't take a shower. You couldn't cook a meal. You couldn't do any chores around the house without knowing that your kids are safe and secure. Now, I, I told, I told my, my wife, Melanie, that I was going to use this illustration, and she says, just make sure that you, people know that we didn't leave them there in the back and play all the time, and we didn't, but in circum certain circumstances, we did. <laughs> it is what it is. And so we would put the girls in the pack and play, and then we would put Jackson gated, gated in our living room area, and Mel could take a shower, or I could work on schoolwork, whatever it may be, but we knew that they were safe. We had people in and out of our house all of the time. And no, not once did anyone ever say, look at those poor kids. 
Look how enslaved they are. Those girls are in a little box. They didn't say, like, they didn't say that, you know, don't you know that you're going to hurt their development by keeping them there, by keeping them safe and secure? Like, why, why don't you let them roam? Why don't you let Jackson wander up the stairs? Why don't you let them get, in, get into trouble? No one ever said that. But church, so often when the world looks at God's design for sex, they'll say those, 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 those same things, won't they? They'll say, wait, 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 you're telling me that God only wants you to have sex within the parameters of marriage, within a heterosexual marriage between a husband and wife. That is the only place you're to experience sex with someone else. They'll question, like, how, how hurtful, how detrimental that is that people can't be who they want to be, that they can't pursue the, the, the desires that they have. Church, the world wants you to believe that sex without boundaries leads to freedom. The Apostle Paul addresses this in verse 12. Why don't we just look together? I want to read verse 12. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So you'll see there in, in the quotations... I have a highlight on the screen. All things are lawful for me. See, what Paul does, and the brilliance of his, of his argument here, is that he takes slogans from Corinthian culture and, and applies spiritual truth to them. This is what I love because, church, to be honest, we see this same motto in our culture, don't we? That you can do whatever you want. All things are lawful. He's like, unless, like, as long as it's culturally acceptable and there isn't a civil law against it, do whatever you want when it comes to sex. He said, this includes everything. It includes sex before marriage, fornication, sex outside of marriage, adultery, homosexuality, prostitution, um, transgenderism, bestiality, whatever it may be. As long as there isn't a law about it and it is, it is culturally acceptable, do whatever you want. But then Paul applies some godly wisdom here. He said, Paul reminds us that just because a culture accepts something or there isn't a law against it doesn't make it acceptable in God's eyes. These are sinful distortions of God's beautiful design for sex. And not only is a sin but it can often lead to slavery. Because Paul reminds us that sexual freedom can lead to, to just that, to slavery. Look at that last phrase in verse 12. It says, I will not be dominated by anything. See, Paul warns of the danger of using our sexual freedom just to be led back into slavery. But the thing about the slavery, this is a voluntary slavery. This isn't something that you are forced into. This is something that you, will, that you willfully shackle yourself to and go back time and time again. Friends, sexual addiction begins by us willfully going to that sin. And the longer we go to that sin, whatever that may be for you, 
the easier and easier it is to get enslaved to it. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, do not use your freedom just because you think that you can do something. Do not use your freedom to, to, to submit yourself to another yoke of slavery. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. See, there is a way that seems right to our culture. That sex without boundaries leads to freedom, and they push that, they push that idea in multiple uh, arenas and avenues. But Proverbs 16 reminds us that even though it may seem right to our culture, the end of that, if you, if you take that idea all the way to the very end, that end leads to death. I can't tell you how many people I've heard who had no idea the cost that sexual sin would take on them. No one thinks that casually browsing online would lead to a, to a pornography addiction. That exploring an alternative lifestyle could lead to finding your identity wrapped up in one. That flirting with a coworker could lead to an affair. But friend, don't think for once that you are the exception. Don't think for once that that you can flirt with something like sexual sin and not become enslaved to it. I've heard that so many times. It's not going to happen to me. I got this. I have it under control. Don't be the exception because you're not going to be. Don't think that you can mess around with sexual sin and be fine. And sex without boundaries actually can lead to slavery. But then Paul continues. And in verses 13 and 14, Paul addresses another lie about sex. The idea that it doesn't matter how you use your body. Verse 13, it says, Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Now, to be honest, this verse is hard to decipher. In some, in some versions, the, the quotation marks there end after food. So they, some translators think that the, the cultural slogan that Paul is addressing is food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Other, other translators think that that quotation mark goes all the way to the end and includes, and God will destroy both one and the other. After doing some research, I, I would agree with, with, with the latter, that verse 13, the, verse, the first part of verse 13, the whole thing is encapsulated there. And so, and the reason why I think that is that the Greek philosopher, philosopher Plato actually taught that people could do whatever they wanted to with their bodies because only their soul was the, was the eternal part of a person. That their body, their flesh, was just going to be destroyed. So it doesn't matter what you do with your body because God's going to destroy it anyway. And so just like when you're hungry, when you have those hunger pain, pangs in your stomach, you go to the fridge to get something to eat. He says that very same way. When you have a sexual urge or craving that needs to be fulfilled, just go out and fulfill it no, no matter how. It doesn't matter. And so they're saying that it doesn't matter how you use your body because it's, not, it, it's going to be thrown away anyway. 
It is a low view of, of the, the stewardship that God created. But he says it doesn't matter. God doesn't care how you use your body. So do whatever you want. But what you do with your body does matter to God. And here's why. We see it in verses 13 and 14. First, we see that God has a plan for your body. See, in Psalm 139, verses 12 and 13, um, an amazing chapter, but it says that you formed me when I was in my mother's womb. You knit me together. We didn't just happen by chance. It's not just two, it's not just, uh, you know, chromosomes coming together and a body is formed. God has, has an intimate part in creating who you are and the body that you are now in. And because God created you, God now has, now has the authority to tell you how you should use your body. Has a, God has a design and plan for how we use them. See, God didn't, didn't give us our bodies so that we could use them to commit sexual immorality. Verse 13 says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. He says, hey, I made you. So I, I can now call the shots on, 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 on how you use them. And Paul straight up says, he's like, your body was not meant for sexual immorality. That word there, the Greek word there, is the word pornea, where we get the word pornography from. But it literally is the broadest sexual um, word that Paul could use. It means anything, anything outside of God's design for sex, which is, again, a heterosexual relationship between a man and a woman within the bounds of marriage. Anything else is sexual immorality. Sex before marriage, again, sex outside of marriage. Uh, prostitution, which, which these believers were, were, were taking part of. All of this is what Paul is referring to. Your body wasn't designed for those things. That God has a plan for your bodies. He gave us our bodies. We are stewards of it. We don't own our bodies. But we are stewards of what God has planned us, planned us to do. And God gave you a body to experience the goodness and gift of sex within his design. God has a plan for your body. But not only does God have a plan for your body, God will resurrect your body. Verse 14 says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. I love the fact that uh, the worship team sang, I'll fly away to kind of kick off the service today. It's the reminder that one day God is going to call us home, and not just our, our spirits, but our bodies as well. See, God cares so much about your body that he will not leave it in the ground. That God will resurrect our bodies just as he raised Jesus from the dead. So unlike Plato's understanding, your body matters to God so much so that he will raise it and glorify it one day. Your body matters to God, and God cares deeply how you use your body. He created them. He has a plan for them. And he will raise them up to new life one day. And it's up to us to steward them well and use them for God's glory. Our body matters to God. 
And in verses 15 through 16, Paul addresses one more lie the world tries to convince us about sex. And this one is fascinating. The lie simply is this, sex is just sex. I want to read verses 15 through 17 uh, just in their totality, and then we'll kind of break it down. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. I want to do verse 18 as well. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Church, the final lie that I'm going to address today is this lie that sex is just sex. The world will tell you that sex is just two people using their physical bodies um, to, to gain pleasure and satisfaction. There is nothing wrong, wrong, wrong with it. It is natural. These are urges and desires that, that, that God has given us. And so when I have them, I, I, can, I have the right to go pursue those things and be satisfied in whatever way I see fits. And what's going on in our culture today, the hookup culture that we have, is telling teens and college students and, 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 and adults that you can go and have sex with someone one night, never see them again, and you'll be just fine. And they actually think the, the more that you detach yourself from the emotional part of sex, the better off you'll be. That sex is just a physical interaction between, between two people or however many people you have involved, and, and, there, are never, and there, are, there are very little consequences after the fact. Really a, an enlightening view into the hookup culture of today can be, said, can be found in um, Nancy Piercy's book called Love, called Love Thy Body. I didn't read the whole book. I just read the kind of the few chapters on, on the, the, the hookup culture that we're seeing today. But she says over and over and over again, kids are told, remove emotions from sex. Remove the connection. Remove the attachments. Sex is just sex. In, in, in health classes, they're not, we're, teachers are rarely telling kids how to protect their hearts. They're telling them how not to catch an STD or get pregnant. Because that's all that matters. But in verses 15, 16, and, and, uh, and 17 here, Paul says something different. First, let, let me address verse, verse 15. Let me just explain to you what was going on here. So Paul was dealing with Christians who were involved in prostitution. Paul was dealing with Christian men that on their way home from work, they would stop by, by the, the pagan temple or a brothel and then go see their, wife's, their, their, their wife and their kids. And these believers saw nothing wrong with that. It's just sex, Paul. What's the big deal? Paul says, you are members of the body of Christ. You don't, bring, you don't bring Jesus into that scenario. May that never be. 
He says, and here's why. He says, the first thing we need to understand is that sex creates an intimate bond. Verse 16, it says again, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. That, that phrase, the two, will, the two will become one flesh, where does that come from? Genesis. As God designed marriage, he says that, hey, it's good. Uh, men and women should cleave to each other, should leave their father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. And it's not just a physical term. It actually encompasses the whole body, the whole part of a person, emotionally, spiritually, physically, psych psychologically. When you become one flesh with someone, it's not just coming together physically. It's a physical act, but, it is, it, but God designed it as the ultimate expression of commitment. It's fascinating. When two people are involved in intercourse, hormones, be, hormones show up in both the male and female producing, producing attachments. It's a biological thing. You can't turn it off. There's a, there's a lady, her name is Laura, I forget her last name, she's from Duke University, but she says that so often when people come together in the sex, their body is making a promise that those two individuals may not intend to keep, but those hormones are already being produced. There is, a, there is an emotional connection that happens. Sex creates an intimate bond. That word there, it paints a picture of being glued together with someone creating an intimate bond and union between all those involved. So every time you engage with sex with, with another person, you leave a bit of your heart with them, never to get it back. Sex creates an intimate bond. And so it's not just a one-off. It's not just a one-night stand. Every time you engage in sex with someone else, a piece of you goes, goes with them. See, God created sex and created this intimate bond to, to be enjoyed and experienced between a husband and wife, to, to be a beautiful expression of their commitment to each other, their, their commitment to take care of each other financially, their, their commitment to take care of each other physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of that. That is the final, the ultimate expression. So what happens when you engage in, in sex without the rest of that connection, without the rest of that commitment? Your heart is longing for those things, but it's not there. We've distorted God's beautiful design for sex. And we have teenagers and college students who can't sleep, who are depressed, who are anxious, whose hearts are a wreck because they've been fed the lie that sex is just sex and they're wondering why their hearts are so broken when, when their partner just, just walks away from them. Or after they leave a, a trail of, of partner after partner after partner and they wonder, why, why am I so sad? Why am I so anxious? Why, why am I so ashamed and worried? This is why. Because we have distorted, we've taken something, taken a beautiful gift from God and turned it into something it was never intended to be. So sex creates 
and intimate bonds. I've got to move on here. And secondly, immorality can leave lasting scars. Verse 18 again says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Friends, the example of how immorality can ruin lives is heartbreaking. Adultery devastates. Pornography devastates. Sexual immorality devastates. It destroys our bodies. It crushes our spouses and loved ones. Immorality can lead to guilt and shame and emotional trauma. It can lead to things like SCDs, AIDS, abortion, unwanted pregnancies. Um, it literally rewires our body, rewires the way that we, that we relate to, to the opposite sex, rewires the way that we view our own bodies. The effects are devastating. Families are ruined. He says, every other sin is outside the body, body, but there's something about sexual sins when we live immorally that ruins us as people, that we become a shell of ourselves when we're addicted to, to, to things like pornography, when we open ourselves up to alternative lifestyles. It completely destroys us. So I want to spend the last few minutes just talking about how do we respond to the world's lies. So if sexual freedom comes within the boundaries of God's design, if we're supposed, if we are the most, we will be the most satisfied, and studies show this, that, that Christians, evangelical Christians who, who operate within the bounds of marriage, within the boundaries of sex that God has designed, actually have more satisfying sexual lives than those who don't. It's just another way to show, okay, God's word actually does work. But if freedom is found within the boundaries of God's design, if God cares deeply about how we use our bodies, if, if sexual immorality is, is never without consequences, what does God call us to do? I'll give you two things today, found right in verses 18 through 20. The first simply is this, it's flee sexual immorality. Verse 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. The imperative there is flee sexual immorality. So the first thing that we do is that we run from it. The word literally means to run for your life. When Joseph was a young man in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife, in the book of Genesis, when Potiphar's wife insisted that he sleep with her, what did he do? He ran. Even while she was grabbing onto his cloak, got that thing off, and he just ran for the hills. He didn't think about it. He didn't ponder it. He didn't rationalize it. He didn't pray about it. He ran. That should be our response. 
And if we're going to have victory over sexual immorality, we must run. We don't toy around with it. We don't think, all right, I can handle this. No, we run. We take drastic measures to protect ourselves from it. That means if you have a smartphone or a tablet or a computer, if you have any access to the Internet, the first step is making sure you have some kind of accountability software on it to hold yourself accountable um, to, other, to other people who love God and love you. Listen, we, we've been using Covenant Eyes as a family for years now. And, and to be honest, yes, you will give up some privacy. I have every single device that we own as a family, like, on that plan. And so my wife, a couple other friends have, a couple other friends receive reports at least weekly showing them every site that I've been on, every app that I've opened. And you may think, that's crazy. Like, what about, what about privacy? What about, like, what about you just doing whatever you want? Listen, I will give up some privacy. I will give up some privacy to, to protect myself, and my wife and my kids from sexual immorality. It's like 18 bucks a month. Listen, it is, the, it is the greatest $18 a month you will spend. Yeah, it might be a little bit more, more than Netflix, but it is worthwhile. So it starts. Hold yourself accountable. Put some kind of software on all of your devices. Secondly, it means not putting yourself in tempting situations with someone not your spouse. Don't spend time alone in your house, in your apartment, or a hotel room with someone who is, with someone who is not your spouse of, of the opposite sex. Don't read books or watch movies that normalize or celebrate sexual immorality. Don't think you're strong enough to resist it. Don't, don't toy around with it. Just run. The second way that we protect ourselves and we respond to, to the world's lies is we need to glorify God in our bodies. How we use our bodies is an act of worship. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Friends, we glorify God in our bodies when we trust that God's ways are best. We glorify God in our bodies when we cherish the gift of sex within God's design. Listen, it's okay to enjoy it. It's meant to be enjoyed. Sex is not this dirty word that we kind of shy away from. No, God openly speaks of sex often. He says, hey, this is a gift to you. Enjoy it within the bounds that I've created you for. So we enjoy it ourselves within God's design. And I, I believe that parents, we glorify God in our bodies when we teach our children to do the same. We have open, honest conversations with them. And they're often uncomfortable. 
my face was beet red the first time we, I, I, talked, I talked to Jackson about this stuff. He was like, Dad, what's wrong with you? But it was like, like I know my face gets red normally. I was like sweating and everything. And Dad's like, Jackson's like, what is going on here? But you do it. You have those conversations. And listen, if you're a parent and you're like, I don't even know how to start these things. My parents, like my parents never had the talk with me about anything. And so me going in to share it with, 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 with my son was, was difficult. I, I found some really good material that at least helps guide the conversations. And, and if, you're, if you're just looking for some things, you can reach out. I'd love to, to share what has been helpful for me. Maybe it'll be helpful for you as well. But the way that we, one of the ways we fight against the world's lies is that, hey, those people that are in our households, we talk about it as a gift from God. That is a good thing to be experienced within, within, within the relationship between a man and a woman within marriage. Don't shy away from those conversations. Because your kids are learning it from somewhere. Let's just make sure that somewhere is you. And as, I, and as we close, I'm going to leave you with one final thought. Listen, my goal today wasn't to make anyone already feel more shame and guilt than you already have. I think Paul lovingly just exposes the culture and the lies that we're being fed each and every day. But I, I want to leave you with this. That sexual immorality is not an impardonable sin. Some of you need to hear that today. That it's not, that whatever you're involved in right now is not the end for you. That there is victory and hope and a healing that's, that Jesus offers to you. First John 1 John 1.9, one that we go back to often. But it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that is the words of Jesus. And him saying that, hey, I know what you've done. I've known what you've gone through. I know the mistakes that you've made. I know the sin that is enslaving you right now. But know that I love you. And I love you enough not to leave you in your sin, but to give you a way out where you can find hope and healing and forgiveness wrapped up in the good news of the gospel. We don't just add these things and, make, and change our behaviors. No, we run to the message of the cross that Jesus died for these sins. Jesus rose again from the grave and he offers hope and healing for things like sexual addictions and immorality. And believer, if you are here today and you are wrapped up in some sort of sexual sin, Jesus is calling you out of it. Studies show that 50 per, over 50% of men have viewed pornography within the last month. I feel like in a room this size, 50, at least 50% of you gentlemen are involved in some sort of pornographic use online. 
The women are between 30 and 40% too. This isn't just a guy thing. So if you are, if you're here today, and you need to do some business with God, you do it. Whether it's during the last song, whether it's just staying a little bit after the service, you do whatever you need to do. You confess those sins to God. You claim this promise. And I would encourage you men, if you're struggling with this, to go find another Christian man who will love you and pray over you and encourage you and point you back to Jesus. And ladies, if you're here today and you're, you're struggling in sexual sin, I would encourage you to do the same. Take care of it today. Confess it to the Lord and find another, another Christian sister who will pray over you and encourage you and hold you accountable and point you back to Jesus and the good news of the cross where freedom and forgiveness can be found. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but you have believed these lies, that sex without boundaries is, leads to freedom. They do that. You can do whatever you want with your body. The, the, the third lie simply is that sex is just sex. If you're here, and maybe you're here because of the consequences of those, of those sins, know that this doesn't have to be the rest of your story. That God loves you so much That 2,000 years ago, uh, he sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross in your place for your sins, taking the penalty that you deserved and I deserved and placed it upon himself. And today he offers eternal life to everyone who is willing to turn from their sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus. And if that is you today, there's a couple things you can do. One is that you can come and find me after the service. I'll just be right up front. I'd love to be able to open up the Bible with you and share the good news that you can be a child of God today. You can mark it on your Connect card, um, put, it in the, put it in the basket, and someone will be in touch with you this week to be able to have that conversation and share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. You can talk to the person that, that came with you Man, if someone invited you today and, and uh, they're part of our church, man, they would love to answer those questions for you. Or simply you can come up front, grab, grab some, some of these packets of, of information. Um, it includes the Gospel of John, the Gospel written, written about Jesus' life so that other people can know that they have eternal life. And another book in there as well just answers some, some of the biggest questions people have about faith and Christianity. But we'd love to get that into your hands today. But friends, know that there is hope. This isn't the end. The good news of the gospel can overcome even sexual sins. And we're here for you. And we're praying for you. And we want the very best. But I just want to pray over you guys one more time. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up. I'm going to ask the prayer team and praise team to come forward as well. We're going to sing one more song again based upon the fact that God is good and loving and kind. 
and the gospel is the greatest message to be ever to ever be proclaimed. So let me just pray over you guys as the praise team comes up. God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you, God, for your kindness. God, I thank you, Lord, that your word is not silent upon things like sex, Lord, but it, but it actually speaks open and often and presents this beautiful picture that sex is a gift from you, given to people to be experienced between your design. God, I just pray for our people here today. Lord, if, if, if stats are true, Lord, there are people in here struggling with sexual sin. God, would they find victory today? God, would they find forgiveness at the cross? Would they find hope in the empty tomb? God, and may they know, Lord, that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead has the same power to raise up their lives as well. May this be a place, God, where hurting people find hope and forgiveness and freedom. May you protect our hearts, our families, God, and this church body. God, as we just walk in a culture who tells us so many lies about sex, may we be committed to your word and your design. God, may our people experience the blessings for it. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.